This week's episode is sponsored by Visual Media Church. Visual Media Church is one of the fastest growing church media companies creating worship backgrounds, social media posts, stock video, stock photography, and templates for your media needs. Go to visualmediachurch.com to sign up today, and when you do, use promo code CREATIVECHURCH to get 20% off all their memberships. That's CRTV Church for 20% off. Go and sign up today. Creators, welcome to the Creative Church Podcast, where each week we talk about the latest in Christian creative culture and explore the lives of prominent creatives. My name is Nick Gunner, and joining me today is the one, the only, Emily Cummins. How's it going? Hey, Emily. Um, and to her digital right, my left, Ross Montgomery. I ate a third of my package of Oreos last night while watching <laughs> Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Uh, a, a third? So you ate a whole row? Yeah, a whole a row. Whole row. A whole row. Uh, I may or may not have done the exact same thing. But I so. do the I do the proper fork and dunk. So Ugh, yeah. no, just eat the Oreo. Come on, Ross. I We've did. been over it this. It was delicious. I'm coming off of a conference um, you know, intake of food. So like, I'm back on my whole 30 type diet. <laughs> so I can't even begin to even understand what it's like to eat a whole thing of Oreos. I had like eight strawberries. Does that count? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that can count. Were they yeah, strawberry that's like, Oreos? That's, exactly. that's like a whole third of a package here in Florida. <laughs> I don't know what the deal is, but they're selling these strawberry packets like in really, really small amounts. And I don't understand why. Um, all right, everyone, we're back from Easter. Uh, for those of you that didn't listen to the last two shows, we kind of recorded those before Easter. Um, and now we're back. So this is our first show after Easter. So guys, I wanted to catch catch everyone up. How was your Easter services? How was your Easter weekends? It was awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. For us. It went great. Seven, seven of them down. Woo-hoo. Seven? Yeah. Is it like all on one day or like Saturday? No, three on Friday. Saturday and four on Sunday. Okay. Wow. That's intense. Yeah. It's over 4,600 people and 87 salvations. That's amazing. That's yep. incredible. So cool. Now, let me ask you this. The week following Easter, did you guys take off? Or I, I have, took Monday morning off. Yeah, took I Monday took Monday off. off. Okay, very cool. Very cool. I always wondered that because a lot of people just jump right back into work. And for those people, if that's like your schedule, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, for those that have the option to take off, I've always wondered, like, well, you know, for those that have the option, why do they insist on working the day after? I'm like, <laughs> yeah, with the way I, I, I felt I Sunday afternoon, I was like, nope, no way. I'm yeah. glad we're getting it off. We went, me and my family went to the zoo, so it was still a little bit of work getting the kids around, but it was very much worth it because it was our best trip to the to the zoo yet. So that's and awesome. You, that's you guys have uh, zoo passes, is that correct? We do. We do to the one in Colorado Springs is one of the best zoos I've ever been to. It's called Cheyenne Mountain Zoo. So if anybody's ever in Colorado Springs, want to go to a zoo, there <laughs> hey. you go. Hey, do you guys still plug. have bunnies? Um, sadly, we lost one last week randomly. I went out and thought it was sleeping, um, <gasps> but it was sleeping forever. So, oh, that's so sad. Yeah. Um, and they're, I mean, they're to like fluffy bunny status. And so it was a little sad, um, but... Um, my wife has a lot of resources. She's been asking some people that have been in the bunny business for a while. So she asked them, and they're like, yeah, that's just part of it. Sometimes they die. And it's like, well, usually you hope it happens earlier than later so you don't get attached. But, you know, we had already been handling 
all four of them, but now we're down to three. So oh. <laughs> it happens. <laughs> you know, I, I don't, I, I, I don't want to harp on, you know, the sadness, but I know Emily had a great loss this past week as well. And I feel like I'd, I wouldn't be a good podcast. host if I didn't, you know, at least acknowledge this, um, Emily, would you, would you care to tell us all what happened? What loss happened? Uh, I don't well, even know. I, There's well, something that I, is I know. no longer in existence oh, like on the Oreo show. Peeps? Here. Yeah, Oreo peeps, <laughs> maybe. Oreo I don't know. Oreo peeps are gone off the shelves. I, I, I figured maybe that's it was impacted a big you Actually, in a significant way. Okay, thanks for are bringing you, up my ask, sad real, real, Instagram story all over again. Real quick, real quick, are you repressing this? Is this a repression yeah. thing where you're trying to forget and we just brought it back? Exactly. Oh, I'm so sorry. Trying I to think move I need on. To... She's trying to move on with her life, Nick. <laughs> Thank you, Ross. Thank you. She now I'll go back to counseling. And here we are. Yep. Oh, gosh. I mean, a whole week of counseling down the drain because of Nick. Exactly. So... Thanks oh, a lot, I'm Nick. so sorry. Well, I don't think repression is a good form of uh, <laughs> of therapy. So whoever your counselor is, I, I would like to speak with them. Um, um, but on a thoughts. real note, if anyone out there has Oreo peeps, <laughs> send them, them to me. directly. Stat. Thank you. Okay. I'm gonna set up We're just good. a PO. I'm gonna set up a PO box just for Emily's <laughs> Oreos. Emily's Oreos. Um, Ooh, that's that's what they should. That should be the name on the PO box is Emily's Oreos. That would be yes. perfect. That's it. Yeah, just that's a foundation we're starting here at Creative Church. Yes. Emily's Oreos. I love it. Love um, it. <laughs> well. Let's get this show moving. Um, we have a great show planned for everybody today. Uh, a little later, we're going to be joined by Adam Bush. Some of you may know Adam from his tenure at Church on the Move in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He and some storytelling buddies have recently launched uh, thestoryguide.com, an online masterclass-style workshop that teaches people to tell stories in the local church. So he's going to be here to talk about that and give some advice to churches to looking to capture stories and tell stories in their individual communities. Up next, though, is Trending. Welcome to Trending. Each week we dive into last week's headlines, the ones that are important to us and we feel us impacting church, culture, or creators, and we discuss it. Emily, you're going to go first this week. What do you have for us? Okay, so I have a question for both of you first. Oh, I love questions. How would y'all define the word failure? How not to do something. I guess I would I would say not meeting your personal wins. That's how I define failure. Yeah, that's a good that, one too. Is that a good one? I don't know. Absolutely. I mean, both of your definitions are great. Um, so I was actually listening to a podcast on my run this morning where Luke McElroy, who recently was interviewed on this podcast, shared his definition of failure. Um, so he says that failure is when I, he, uh, has chosen to not be who God has called him to be. And that success is stepping into the fullness of who God has made me to be and owning it. And when I heard that, I loved the definition. And then he actually wrote an entire article on failure um, on his website. And he shares this idea that failure um, is an opportunity to actually move forward. So it's not a setback. And I love that concept. Um, in fact, did you guys know that 90% of most businesses fail? I've, I've heard that statistic. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I have that written down in a notebook somewhere, really? actually, because no that was way. the first thought I had whenever I started my business was 90% of these things fail. <laughs> That, I mean, it's it's a crazy it, statistic, it, it is. you know, it is. But I think the even crazier, like crazy cool statistic is the next one that I'm going to share. So in light of 90 percent of most businesses fail, 
However, 90% of second businesses succeed. Mm. Like, that's pretty incredible. That is Um, awesome. So basically, in his article, Luke shares the difference between that first 90% and the second 90%. And it literally is in those who view failure as an invitation to step into the second phase. So in light of, I mean, what Luke has shared, do you guys agree, disagree? Do you see failure as an invitation and an opportunity? What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I have a pretty personal story, not like vulnerable or anything like that um, about it, because right out of college, I remember when I was first trying to, uh, I graduated with a video production degree, was looking to do something in ministry, but, you know, knew I might have to do some things on the side to get there. Um, and in my, I guess you could call it immaturity, but just even naivete, I signed a contract with a, a company that um, I think I've mentioned it before um, that, that I, I should have read. Um, and, 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 you know, a little bit on my part was failure to be thorough, but then even within there, um, like just not understanding the situation I had gotten myself into. And I mean, thankfully things didn't really blow up on my end. I mean, things escalated to a point where, um, um, from them that I was like, oh, this is not good. I'm, I'm pulling the shoot. I'm leaving. I'm going. So, um, you know, but it, it really taught me a lot about like, don't just jump on what you think is a good opportunity. I, I agree wholeheartedly with the 90% of second businesses um, succeed and that statistic. I, I like the article as well. Um, you know, in just the past three years of Creative Church and G28, you know, we haven't really experienced a total failure where it's like we bottomed out and it was complete, you know, scrap everything, start over. But we have we have uh, experienced several micro failures, I guess you can call them where they uh where we planned to do something or we did something and it just didn't work for our brand or anything that we did and uh you know we probably had ooh, three or four of those micro failures like that and now we're kind of stepping into a place where we're kind of succeeding a little bit more um because of what we've learned from those uh from those past experiences Absolutely. yeah I, I i completely agree with this i i think it's i think it's so true i think you always have to look at your opportunities mm-hmm. no matter what they are as a, as an, as a way to take another opportunity. Yeah. in the similar thread as both of you, you know, when I moved from Las Vegas back to Florida, I actually launched a business and I was doing strategic coaching and planning with businesses around, around the country. And about six months in, like, I just hated it. I did not like being an entrepreneur, having my own business. I missed being on a church staff full time. And um, so before I even had a job, like I just shut down my business, trusting that something would um, open up in the future. And now, you know, I do have a role back in the church, but in my Enneagram one brain, um, I looked at my move and the launch of a business as such a failure. And so it's a refreshing thought to think of it as that opportunity or step into the second phase of my own story and that it wasn't lost ground, but I actually learned something really valuable valuable about who God made Emily to be in that season. Um, So it actually was a win, not a failure. 
Um, and I mean, continuing this idea on failure, it'd be easy to listen to this and hear the three of our you know, stories and walk away going, okay, that's great, but like, now what? And entrepreneur.com actually shares six truths about failure that everyone should know. So those six truths in short are that success can only come from failure, curiosity naturally leads to failures, <laughs> true <laughs> uh, failure is an asset nobody wants you to fail number five failure should not be confused with quitting and the sixth truth is each failure gets progressively easier so the big takeaway for all of us is that failure is a gift it's a reminder that we're actually alive and we're trying new things and if we weren't failing like we weren't trying anything new and that's the day to be afraid of. So that's what I've got, Nick. I loved it a lot. Um, Really quick though, I love number four. Nobody wants you to fail. That's <laughs> right? something that, that a lot of people don't understand. I just want to touch on that real quick. You know, people don't quite understand that nobody really wants them to fail. You know, I can think of the, the you know, my top competition in business right now, even, even though I you know, I consider them competition. I, you know, work hard to kind of, you know, be better than them. I still wouldn't want to see them fail. So that's just, that's just a good thing. That's a, that's a good thing for entrepreneurs and creators to kind of get down in their, in their ethos and say, Hey, you know what? Nobody's really out to get me. I'm just, you know, I just need to be hustling and doing what I, I feel God has called me to do. So I really like that one. Um, Ross, what do you got for us? Well, <clears throat> um, have either of you ever been stuck kind of feeling like you're in circles during a brainstorming meeting and, and just can't get anywhere and you're chasing rabbit trails. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people can identify with that. Um, but I found this really cool, just really short kind of um, tongue in cheek written article. That was a lot of fun to read um, about how to ideate more effectively. Um, and the be beginning of the article was, was pretty fun. So just here's, here's a little taste of it is, a creative director walks into a meeting room. Sounds like a joke, doesn't it? He walks up to the whiteboard, grabs a dry erase marker from the shelf and says, who got an idea? One of the creatives, the one wearing a vest over corduroy shirt, looking all indie, throws out an idea. Then the girl wearing a white blouse tucked into a black pencil skirt, then another and another. And all the while, the creative director is scribbling all over the board, writing all these ideas down, all the ones that people are throwing out there because they're brainstorming. After 15 or 20 minutes, he stops, steps back, looks at the board, it's a garbled mess. It's, it's that web of sporadic thoughts. The rest of the room looks at it proud, proud of all their brainstorming. The creative director nods, walks over, reaches for the erasure, and just before wiping away the entire thing, he says, excellent, now we can start coming up with good ideas. <laughs> and so I thought that was a great way because I'm like, I've been there. I've felt that. And um, they really get down to the main point so spoilers it's a short article but you can go read it for yourself um but they just say that with enough preparation on the topic that you're going to discuss if you have a meeting coming up and you know the topic um and you know it's going to be kind of brainstorming you're going to be talking about what's coming up uh for certain things each person should have done their own homework on brainstorming and editing themselves down to bring their two or three best ideas um because i think really the best way to encapsulate that whole thought. Um, the author ends it in the article by saying, you're not there to brainstorm. 
You're there to debate each other's best ideas, seeing which ones survive and which ones went out in the end. Have you guys um, ever had to like kind of adjust your brainstorming model before? Yes, for sure. Um, being on the officiating a brainstorm session end, it has it's difficult when everyone does come in like at the beginning of that story and you have lots of ideas, but they aren't really intentional ideas that people There's are no bringing their best. There's no bad ideas here. False. I mean, there are bad ideas. <laughs> yeah. It's, and it's like the warm up to getting to really good mm, stuff, you know? Yeah. And so taking the time, the five minutes to do your own warm up before you come in and brainstorm with the team helps everyone stay on track. Um, and then you get the best at the end. See, so, yeah, I, I like this article. What, I, what I've kind of learned about brainstorming is that um, the best brainstorming doesn't happen in a meeting anyway. <laughs> um, it typically happens either on your own or whenever you're just kind of chatting with people. Um, so to take up time in official meetings to brainstorm, I, like you said, it's just, it's just a web of, of sporadic thoughts. And mm -hmm. most of the time people are already offended and they get offended because someone doesn't like their idea or someone, mm. you know, made a suggestion that was contrary to what they believed. And it just, it, it can start the meeting off in a bad mood. So yeah, I'm all for brainstorm on your own time or just, you know, whenever you happen to find yourself like this weekend, um, you know, we were with clients all week last week with um, with our G28 uh, at a conference. And we had meetings that we had to go to and we had to attend. And, you know, there were official, you know, here's the agenda meetings. But then there was these times when we're eating dinner or we're talking about things. And there was just this sporadic brainstorming process where we just kind of, you know, both latched onto an idea and kind of picked it apart right then and there versus being in kind of a structured format. And, uh, that, that kind of helped us scope things a little bit better. So when we got in the official meetings, we had the rough parameters down of the idea and we could actually launch on or latch on and get the entire idea fleshed out. So yeah. that, that, that really does help to come up with your own brainstorming on your own terms and then let the meeting be the meeting. Yeah. And it respects everybody's time in the end, in right. my opinion. It does. Yeah, I agree. It respects everyone's time and their feelings. I mean, because yeah. like I said, so many people get so uptight whenever someone doesn't like an idea and it yeah. shuts them down. It's yeah. easier for you to kill your own darlings than someone else to kill yes. yours. <laughs> right. Right. Well, um, this week I have a very special um, trending article. I didn't share it with either of you before we went into this um, because I, I didn't want to spoil it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, man. Um, so... Uh, you know, we've been talking about Oreos for the past few weeks. Um, yes. This actually doesn't have very much to do about Oreos. Uh, well, but why, I think why, it's, why the lead up? I th because I think Come that on, this is the next step to an Oreo flavor that we all said that I think we were we were kind of against. Okay. okay. And uh, this next step, this next iteration is ketchup by the slice. What? what? No. Yes. No. Um, according to an article from Mental Floss... Um, a Kickstarter, and I'm going to look at the name real quick, a Kickstarter called Bo's Fine Foods. They've organized this uh, this Kickstarter for Slice of Sauce, a new, highly controversial method of packaging a condiment and then selling it at retail in eight slices of dried ketchup or whatever other sauce you can imagine. I am looking at a picture of it right now, and it looks disgusting. No. It does. <laughs> oh. Imagine imagine the good old American cheese craft single slice you had right after you take it off out of the wrapper, except it looks blood red. Oh, uh. There you go. That's exactly what it is. 
And it will, uh, some people are comparing the texture though to a um, fruit roll up, like a, like a, like your mom's, like, no, no, excuse me, excuse me, not fruit roll up, fruit leather, fruit leather. What? There's, I guess yes. there's a difference. No, there fruit is, leather. there is a difference. I can get, guarantee you there's a difference. Wait, what so, is fruit of, leather? What is that? It, it just totally has a different, I, I don't know how to, how to compare it even. Um, I mean, it's like beef jerky for a fruit. slice of sauce. Interesting. So a slice of sauce. Um, now I, ha I haven't had time to go in and look to see if they're funded or, or how they're doing on Kickstarter right now. I just know it's making a huge splash big enough right now that Mental Floss has picked them up. I really I really want to read one Twitter reaction to this. Right. Please do. That's Please amazing. Do. Ketchup slices is the dumbest idea I've ever heard. And if I ever get served a burger with a slice of ketchup, I will make a huge scene. Oh, no. <laughs> uh... I've never said this before in my life and meant it. But this might be ruining my childhood. Um, <laughs> I don't need this. I don't need this. So, but my thought was, okay, ketchup by the slice. That's only one step before we're putting the ketchup in the Oreo. So that was this my thought. That was true. my connection. I mean, this is true. what are they going to slice next? Right. And and then that really brought me to the idea of why aren't we, why aren't we slicing Oreo cream yet? Like, yeah. again, well, here's, why are here's we slicing the thing right? I didn't really get on board with slicing though. Peanut butter and jelly. Yes. That don't would they, be cool. Okay, don't they have those? That's what I was thinking too, but I feel like I've seen those before. Really? I don't At least think a slice I've seen of peanut like butter. Slight, I don't know. We, we need a producer to Google while we're doing this. Yes. We're going to all Google ourselves. Do, do, do you want to know that they are nearly doubly funded? for their slice of sauce i'm not they, surprised they are currently at 26 just over 26 almost at twenty-seven thousand of their fifteen thousand goal wow so okay. just just so you can lose a little more faith in humanity so uh are you guys gonna try a slice of okay ketchup? so here here's you know what I, to be honest i would i would try it on a burger and you know why why because i don't want to spill ketchup on my shorts <laughs> that is a valid I, point if it tastes good, I could imagine this being something I would use, especially I mean, if I'm it's like all natural, so it doesn't sound like it's packed with preservatives. So it True. could. It could. Yeah. You know? It so it... all three of us would try it. I'd yes. try it. I'd oh, try in the right sure. context, for yeah. sure. In, yeah. Not I mean, the I'm not going to eat it like in the like summer grilling context. <laughs> You're yeah. just going to just eat slices by yourself. No, I'm not eating the slices by themselves. That's not... So real quick, though, um, according to Hello Giggles, uh, you know, top rated news source. Uh, and... <laughs> really? I'm really bringing them this week. Uh, the best joke you've made in a while. <laughs> October 14th, 2017, they announced that the Food Network um, uh, was making a peanut butter and jelly slice. So Ooh, I don't know what, what happened see? with that. Exciting. I'm a visionary. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what happened with that, but you know, it is, it kind of does exist somewhere in the wild. Uh, there you have it. Up next is our interview with Adam Bush. This week's featured interview is with Adam Bush. Adam is a storyteller who loves Pixar, This American Life, and the local church. He started working at Church on the Move in Tulsa, Oklahoma in 2005 and serves as a storyteller in their arts department. In 2017, he and his storytelling buddies launched thestoryguide.com, an online masterclass-style workshop that teaches people to tell stories in the local church. Adam lives in Tulsa, Oklahoma with his wife Diane and too many Disney toys. 
Here's part of our conversation with Adam Bush. Um, so, well, let's start off. What makes a good story? You know, I think that one of the uh, one of the kind of the biggest issues that we have as as storytellers, kind of within the church, is is you'll hear somebody say, "Oh man, you got to hear this person's story," or "This person's got a great story," and um, and you'll listen to what they have to say and 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 have a hard time either like trying to uh, like uh, uh, bring everything like, you know, a thousand little details together and bring them all into like one cohesive story. Or you'll say, well, that's some really interesting facts, but I don't really find, uh, I, I don't really see um, that we're actually telling a story, you know, that we have a linear sort of, uh, I don't know, what, how would you say, uh, structure here. And, and I think that can all be solved when we answer the question, where in this story or where in this element can we identify change? Change, right? So we say every protagonist has to learn something and the hero of our story has to be faced with a difficult obstacle that hopefully makes him turn and change and become something different. That's true. When we look at what Pixar does with all of their great films, we see a hero, Woody, who thinks one way about life and that he, you know, there's there's not room for other top toys or, or uh, you know, a, a new sheriff in town, for lack of a better, you know, toy pun. Um, uh, but when Buzz shows up, he sees that, you know what, there's room for all of us and, and maybe there's even like something else to be learned here about loyalty. So he, he thinks one thing at the beginning and, and by the end, he's, he's not just for Buzz, but he's, you know, attempting to save his life. He's changed. And I think that when we, when we look at stories, whether they're stories within the local church or stories in great film or television. I mean, this is definitely the age of television where you get these really long linear classical storylines, um, you know, through 10 episodes of, you know, whatever your favorite show is. Um, I think the thing that you, we all have to realize is that there's a change occurring there and it's something that's so interesting to us that we can connect with it internally in a way that says, you know what, I don't just like that, but, but I am uh, experiencing that, that, same sort of change in my life, or at the least, I hope to experience that change. Yeah, no, that's a great keeping the main thing, the main thing about a story. I love it. No, go ahead. Yeah, if you had something else to add. And then I think we'll probably talk about this here in a minute. But I think often when we think of telling stories within church, we think that they do have to be that one way where we, you know, it's either got to be like a feature story on video, or, uh, and it's got to be this, you know, this big hurrah, uh, of gear and sets and lights and things like that to really to really make it happen. But but the truth of the matter is, story in its simplest form is a narrative, and the simplest way to communicate a narrative is from your mouth. I mean that's that's what we do every day. How was your night? How was your evening? How was you know, what happened this summer? What have you been up to? That's telling a story narratively. So uh, if if we can identify change, uh, uh, telling stories of change that way, just with the spoken word, then I think we can begin to understand the basis and the basics, the root of what a story is. And then from there, we can say, okay, we understand that a story is really nothing more than a, a linear storyline communicating change. Okay. So that means we can tell it as simply as telling it, <laughs> you know, from the stage. I mean, how many, how many pastors 
you know, uh, uh, fill their sermons full of stories that great, great pastors do, great communicators, all the way from that simple form to, you know, I guess a feature film. Maybe that's probably the biggest way that we could do it, which we're not probably going to do, you know, a trilogy at church. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so I think once you identify that a story is nothing more than change, you realize, okay, that opens me up to, um, understanding that there are different ways that I can communicate stories. Yeah. So just along those lines, how, how have you, or how have you seen, um, effective ways of getting outside the box with storytelling? Yeah. So, you know, I think number one, uh, I don't think this is any surprise, but the local church probably because we have service at least every seven days, you know, a lot of, a lot of churches um, have midweek services and at church on the move, we have Saturday service. So, you know, it comes even more frequently, but one of, I think one of the problems um, that we, the obstacles that we face is that it is easy. And I, I, I do this all the time. It is easy to get stuck in a rut because the weekend is coming very quickly. And so because of that, I think, the number one way to get out of the box is maybe not to think of it as we have to do something that's totally different, like, or, or that we've never seen before, but simply to do something in a different way. So it's kind of a long way to communicate um, that the, the, the more that I, the more I'm on like Facebook storytelling uh, pages and just perusing websites that, you know, kind of cater to, uh, creative work that we do within the church, I see more and more that people are doing stories on video. And that's great. Typically the, the two camera, you know, kind of thing with the, with an interview in somebody's house and, and, uh, you know, the B roll over, it's very epic. And look, I'm, I'm into those stories. I, you know, the story guide. Yeah. They definitely uh, have their place. Yeah. They definitely have their place. And Easter, that's a great, that's a great, you know, that's a great time to, uh, especially to do something that's that's like that. And, and I'm for that. The story guide, which uh, me and my buddies are a part of, we, that's the kind of story that we teach how to tell. But, um, but what I love to see is whenever we take it to its simplest form and simply allow someone on stage to read a story. I mean, like, oh my gosh, like, you know, like, what, what, a, what an ingenious, creative way <laughs> to tell a story that we would read it, you know, but I went to, uh, my wife and I like to travel a lot and we went to uh, Hillsong LA and Brooke um, Fraser was leading there. She's obviously been part of uh, their, their band, their music for forever, you know. Um, she read a story off Instagram and it was just a story that meant a lot to her that communicated something that um, was applicable for the moment that we were in, in the service. And to me, that moment was as captivating and connected with me as much as some of the greatest stories that I've seen or been able to be a part of. And so, um, so as far as thinking out of the box, I think in, you know, a lot of ways you got to say what's appropriate for this medium. What can we do? What, what's a good way that we can communicate this change? Oftentimes it's, you know, it's, it really is a matter of like, what can we do this weekend? Because it's happening in six more days. So, would we be able, could we write a story and be able, be able to allow someone to share it? You know, writing it would allow people to be able to, or allow the presenter to be able to be very concise and you can be a little bit more thought, thoughtful about your words, that sort of thing. So I say that's, you know, anytime that we're talking about communicating some sort of story, I say, whether it's reading a story, 
um, like that. Maybe it's a great storyteller who can craft a story and just tell it from stage. Uh, maybe it's someone reading a story, but it is on video, so we can still edit it down just a little bit um, to a feature story. I think all of those are on the table. As long as we're communicating change and we're communicating it in an interesting way, uh, which typically means uh, the shorter the better. But yeah, that's kind of what I think. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Because I think there's a lot of great places to drive inspiration from, like Humans of New York or 60 yes. Second Docs and that kind of thing. Because uh, even Church on the Move, a couple, just over a year ago, did the 30 stories in 30 days. The mm -hmm. way you kind of did that campaign was really interesting. And from what I've seen in the you know, general population of, of things you see from churches was, was a really unique way to approach storytelling of um, the impact that your churches had coming up on their anniversary and everything. Yeah. And you know, the thing I think about, I mean, Instagram is awesome. And, and uh, obviously all social media should be taken advantage of. Uh, the church is going to get into people's faces through social media before, before they're going to see their faces in the auditorium. <laughs> that's the, that's the truth, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and so I think more and more we have to realize, and I think we're very behind. We're very behind. Uh, I, I don't just mean my church. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying like the global church, we're very behind when it comes to social media and stories specifically. We're not telling enough. And, and I think uh, an oversaturation of stories is necessary um, on social media. And I think it's a wonderful place to be able to, to connect with people in a real way to to maybe perhaps remove the ads as much. You know, we think a lot about marketing. We think a lot mm, about yep. putting up our banner for Easter or whatever, or, you know, something like that. Getting come, that mailer come, out. Yeah, we get the mailer out, come visit us on Easter. But we don't think enough about telling the story of Ken, who was invited to church um, on Easter and gave his life to Christ, you know, even a year later. But that was the beginning of a seed. I'll just say I'm much more into reading a story online than I probably am going to uh, be or remember just, you know, anyone's kind of, kind of blanket ad. Ads have their place. They remind you of something that maybe you already, you already knew about or, or they are like, uh, they are just sort of a, uh, they can catch your eye and you, you would think, oh, that, that's great. Yeah, I should go to that thing. But stories have, stories have a opportunity and a, a way to connect with you just not just connect with your eyes, but really connect with your heart. And I don't, I don't know if we'll ever tell too many stories. I don't, I don't know if it's possible. With that, how do you curate stories um, within, you know, a, a church, a culture, you know, group of people? Yeah. So, you know, I, I like to think about it like this, and we've talked about this a lot on the story guide, but I grew up in a really small church, about 200 uh, people, you know, uh, uh, for a couple of years, I, we were, I grew up in, uh, in the South in Louisiana and is a country church, 12,000 people lived in the town. So, I mean, the church was, the church never got more than about 600 people. And one of the beautiful, um, things that come out of that is the opportunity for testimonials on the spot. So regularly the pastor would say, anybody got a testimony and Dr. Cameron or, you know, Mr. Allen would stand up and say, I got one. They just stand up in the middle of the auditorium and just say, this is what God did for me this week. And everybody would celebrate and it was exciting. It celebrated what God did, but it also um, encouraged you, right? I mean, like you think like if God can do that for that person, God, you know, God's no respecter of person. He'll do that for me. So um, 
Now, though, gone, at least in, in my role, I go to a church of about 9,000 people. We have three campuses. That is impossible. <laughs> what would that look like if Pastor George or Witt just said, hey, anybody got a testimony? You'd be like, this is going to last forever and I can't hear anybody. So I think, um, but, but well, I'll say I, that doesn't negate the power of the testimony. And so I think our jobs as storytellers and filmmakers, uh, people in these different roles, our job is we have to find them before the service. So the way that I do that is um, I personally connect. I realized early on that I could go around and, you know, I know people here at the church. I've been here for about 10 years and I could go around and I could say, hey, so-and-so, who, what, what do you got going on? What's, a, what's, a, what's, what's God doing in your life? What's a good story? And then, you know, naturally just kind of hear things where people would just tell me just, you know, from hanging out with people during the week. But I realize like that is, that's really shallow uh, in regards to, it's a shallow uh, uh, field that I can harvest <laughs> of stories because I'm just one dude and I can only have so many conversations. So to me, it's almost like, it's kind of weird to say it like this, but it's almost like multi-level marketing. Like if I can connect with people who connect with three people who connect with the three people, I'm going to get a wider uh, you know, group of people that I'm touching. So what I started doing is instead of just going to anyone, I started connecting with people who are connectors. And who is that? People who uh, are oversee small groups or overseers of overseers of small groups. Those people are hearing stories. People who oversee local outreaches and global outreaches. Those people are hearing stories. Uh, pastors who are serving people in counseling and, and uh, in the different uh, volunteer teams throughout the church. When I started connecting with those people, things begin to change because not only, what were I, not only was I hearing from people who were hearing more stories than me, but when I would go back as time moved on, they knew what I was looking for. So in the beginning, you know, I, I'll say it like this. I'm always looking for a story of life change in regards to someone meeting the real Jesus, a heart change. I used to think about God this way. And now because of this, I see that he is a loving father. I used to have a religious view of God. And now I have such a tender view of God. When I first started going to my people and saying, I'm looking for stories, I would get some, but they would mostly be financial. This person believed God for this thing, and, and you know, this is how they got it. And those are great. And I believe, I believe in the law of giving. But you're not going to tell that story every week. And you're probably only going to tell it once a year, whenever you have that message from your pastor. But the other stories you can tell every day. Uh, every weekend. And so as time progressed, those people that I would, the connectors were beginning to understand what I was looking for. And not only were they beginning to give me stories that were real leads, which were a lead is nothing more than, you know, a, a, a story of change. Not only was I, was I getting those, but they would text me and say, Hey, I got a story for you whenever you're ready, which the day that happened, I wanted to follow my, you know, follow my knees and just thank God because I think everybody listening to this who does any sort of storytelling knows finding stories is hard. <laughs> and so to kind of wrap this part up, the last thing I did was I said, you know what? Here at Church on the Move, we have two storytellers on staff, me and Chris Munch. And 
that's not enough. This church is too big for it just to be us. We need a team of people who are passionate about storytelling who can be part of this process. And so we begin to reach out to some of those same people and then extroverts, other people who loved people. And we said, hey, we're building a volunteer storytelling team. It's just like other ways you volunteer at the church, except we do this super cool thing where we get to tell stories. Some of you might be interested in finding stories. Some of you might be good at interviewing. Some of you might be great at makeup on set. If you're interested, let's come together. And we have a team now. We, we call our volunteer teams here Go Teams because you're going. And uh, right now we have 20 people that serve on that team. Six of them, it's a little, it's a little, uh, uh, it can be a little confusing, but uh, six of those people are volunteers. They do not work at the church. 14 of those people serve in other capacities, but because of the roles that they serve in, um, they have, they are a good touch point for kids area, outreach area, uh, different campus areas. And so that makes up our team of people who help us every week find stories, which is about the longest answer I could give you for such a simple question. What has been a big risk that you've taken within your storytelling career that, um, you know, either panned out or maybe there's one that, that didn't. Yeah. So, you know, it's pretty easy to do an interview style testimonial, sit someone down, how, interview them and, you know, edit it however you want. That's not real risky. Um, and so I do it a lot, you know, because it's easy, like it's easy, it's easy to, to capture, yeah, to capture the story that way. So, but we've got a group of guys here, especially some younger guys. I mean, I'm, I'm 36 now, so I'm, I'm not old, but I'm not the youngest guy around here anymore. And some of the younger guys are always pushing us just like, we'd like to kind of do a story like this or like this. And so lately we've tried out a couple of those. Um, one, of the, one of the ways that we've told a story is I had an experience in Japan uh, on a missions trip. I felt like God taught me something. And um, instead of interviewing me, we, uh, I wrote the story out and, um, basically, you know, recited it with a teleprompter, recited it, told the story on camera on a big white psych wall. And, um, to kind of add to the story, we, uh, we found an artist here in town who just draws in a really creative way, really kind of fits my style and the way that I look and animated those pictures in as, as we told the story, the story is kind of comical and, you know, kind of involves me in kind of a awkward situation. And so that oh, and it's very engaging. Yeah. Oh, good. Thanks. Um, yeah. So it's, that's, a that's, you know, that was kind of a, I hope, I hope this is going to work. I mean, it's, it sounds pretty <laughs> good on paper and, yeah. and I think everybody was behind it, but at the end of the day, you don't really know, like, what if this is just totally lame? Like, what if it's not interesting at all? Because here's the deal. If it's not good, they'll pull it and uh, we won't show it. And then you've spent all this time working on a story. And it's like, well, that took me a really long time to do something that nobody will ever see. Um, but yeah, but it panned, it panned out. And I think, uh, I think that's, you know, so that's a great example of like a, a positive one. I think the, the, the ones that haven't panned out have been the ones where I didn't um, Ira Glass says it like this. He says, whenever people are talking about, like when his producers are pitching stories to him, like this person has this story. 
he, he regularly says, are they a good talker? And uh, that it seems like such an elementary question and almost kind of a, I don't know, kind of a rude question a little bit. But for radio, that's all they have. And I haven't, I've gotten myself in trouble a couple of times by not asking myself, is this person a good talker? Enjoyed their story, liked the person, thought the story was captivating, got them on camera and just realized, oh my gosh, they're not a good talker. And that's no slight on them. We don't all have to be great in front of the camera. The problem is that whenever someone's not a good talker and the story kind of hinges on their talking, <laughs> it's a little, it, it, it is a little, it's a little difficult to bring passion and um, some sort of emotional value to the story. So there's been a few cases where that's the few stories where that's been the case. A couple of them, we just, we were just like, you know what? It's just not going to work. Some of them, however, we, we, we still like the story. So we just changed it. We said, you know what? We know the story. We've done all the pre-production. We've done all the pre-story on it. Why don't we help them write the story and they'll read it live on stage during the service. There's something about people being on stage where it's a little more, uh, I don't know, you're a, you're a little bit more accepting of the moment. This is happening live. It can be a little bit of a shorter story. The person's reading. It happened to that person. You know what I mean? And so that's worked out really well. So sometimes, you know, whereas that, that can be really uh, upsetting that you spend a lot of time working on it, sometimes it can turn into something that is actually pretty, pretty amazing. And I'm, I'm actually really excited that those happen. To find out more about Adam and to read our Cut for Time interview with him, visit the podcast episode page on our website at creativechurch.com. That's crtvchurch.com. Welcome to Reply All, where each week we pose a question and give you the chance to answer online in our Creative Talks group on Facebook. Uh, last week we asked, what is the most memorable Easter memory you have? And uh, I got no feedback on that one. <laughs> I don't know if everyone was just resting from Easter or they, yeah, the, yeah, it was the Monday after Easter. I think everyone was just wiped and they're like, no, I don't want to answer that. Um, which is, which is weird that that rarely happens in the Creative Talks group. We normally get tons of answers, but. Like I said, must have just been an Easter thing. Um, this week we wanted to ask, what are some of the challenges facing culture that you think as a church we might do a better job of addressing? Um, this past week, I was at a conference in Atlanta, and it was the Rx Opioid and Heroin Abuse Summit, and it's a national conference. Mm -hmm. um, it's put on by uh, the CDC, uh, Project Unite, and a couple of other big organizations. Um and this is actually what I, I, a part of what I do with my work uh, at G28 is I, I help uh, communities understand in the problems behind opioid abuse, um, which kind of affects every single person. Uh, for those who don't know what opioids are, it's like your uh, oxycodone, um, things like that, the stuff that doctors prescribe you um, that are very powerful painkillers that are very easily to get, or excuse me, very easy to get addicted to. Um, as I was there, we had a lot of conversations about the local church and a lot of our, our workshops are actually geared towards how do we engage the local church community because 
we have all these community groups that have been fighting this problem for so long, yet our local church seems to be apathetic towards what's going on. It was really shocking to me a little bit um, that, that, you know, I, I kind of I kind of center myself with like the mainstream non-denominational churches of the world. Um, so non-denominational, that's, you know, not your Baptist or your mm-hmm. Methodist or your Presbyterian. That's non-denominational. Our <laughs> denomination is non-denominational, which is a weird thing to say. However, whenever we're listening to the faith-based community stuff, we saw efforts by the Baptists, we saw efforts by the Methodists, the Presbyterians, mm. and they're all doing great things. None of the non-denominational churches wow. were represented. Um, Saddleback, they had just begun talks with Saddleback, but that was it, which just kind of crushed me because I was like, this is huh. a very important issue. I mean, this is affecting the lives um, just in the community we serve out in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, which is where our clients work from. Um, just over the past year, they had 865 opioid overdoses. Wow. And that's a community of 400,000. Wow. Excuse me, 40,000, 40,000. Wow. So that's a huge number. And it's it's really, really a big problem because anybody can be affected by this from, you know, your grandma to your mom to, you know, and dad, mom, dad, students, um, anybody, because doctors prescribe these medications and just people get hooked. So that's kind of one of the problems I see that we could be really tackling better and kind of addressing more. Yeah. And we're actually starting at Crave Church some initiatives to kind of help help people talk through that with their church and uh, help bring this conversation into the church right now. But uh, I also wanted to get some other ideas of saying things that we might be missing, things that we might not be seeing right now that uh, we could also be addressing to kind of tackle those issues as well. So I leave that to you guys to answer what you guys see that are challenges facing facing culture that you think the church might do a better job of addressing. Yeah. So, I mean, another one that I see, um, I mean, in the past year, several months, we've seen lots of, you know, hashtag me too stories popping up. Um, there was a lot of confusion in culture on what it means to be a female, to be a woman, to lead what your voice is. Um, and so a couple weeks ago, our lead pastor actually taught out of second Kings and he was using this big idea that, good intentions don't count. And this was interesting because I had never actually heard this story before. And um, basically the end of the chapter, the king is looking for someone to explain um, just what scripture is saying, what God's word would be declaring for the people. And the priest went to a woman. Um, They actually went to the prophet's wife, Huldah. Um, It says in uh, verse 14, Hilkiah, the priest, um, and then a bunch of other names that are really hard to describe, uh, went to speak to the prophet Huldah, who was the wife of Shalom, son of Tivka, and so on and so on. And she ended up describing and explaining what um, God was saying to the people. And so as our pastor was teaching through this text, he shared, you know, the people of Israel would have missed out on what God was saying if they would not have listened to her voice. And it just brought up the reality that so often um, we don't invite women in to speak or in to lead um, or to just even offer their opinion. And um, in Outreach Magazine this month, they actually have an entire article on when women remain silent. And uh, one of the things that they said was that we've seen time and time again that women are silent simply because no one asks them. And that's the reality of being in a church where all the leadership and decision makers are men. Therefore, women keep silent. 
And I think a lot of the confusion in society could stem with us not addressing it in the church and not inviting women to share their voice or sit at the table. Um, Being a female who works in churches and works as an executive director, there are not a lot of other females um, doing what I do in the church world. So it's just, that would be another challenge that we could take head on um, and help bring clarity to. Let me, let me ask you this real quick. What do you think, like from a woman's perspective, um, what, like, why do you think that is? Why do you think men tend not to ask women their opinions on things? Man, I mean, I don't, well, I'm not a dude, so I don't know. <laughs> well, yeah, no, yeah. I, I want your insight. And then I guess Ross and I can kind of okay. share our insight so we can kind of see what, what you know, whether it's lining up or whether, you know, we just, you know, we're missing it. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. And it's unique for me because I, I mean, I personally, as Emily, have grown up in an environment where... I've always been invited to the table, like the beauty of, so my dad has encouraged females to lead, to share their voice my entire life. So in my head, I see the issue and I, because I work with women and becoming me all the time. Um, but I haven't personally ever experienced not being invited to share my voice, um, because I've seen such a great example, um, if I had to take a stab at why, I, I literally think it's confusion and a lack of clarity. So we can either take, I mean, really extreme approaches when we read the Bible. Um, a long time ago, I read this book called Jesus Feminist by Sarah Bessie, and she unpacked like what the Bible says about women and women leading in the church. And I just think when we're confused, we fear stuff we don't understand, and it could just be a lack of clarity on what God's word actually says about women and how we are partners and will lead together. And that it's not, you know, one is greater than the other or lesser. Um, we're all equal and we all have our roles, but each of our roles are valuable when we complement each other, not try to, you know, control the other one. Um, what do you, I mean, what do you two think from a guy's perspective? Ross, I'll let you go first. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, I, I grew up fairly fundamentalist. Um, and so that means the biblical was taken with a literal interpretation. So that uh, the the whole women's role was um, preached quite often. Um, and that was just kind of a thing. Um, but I think, you know, as as we kind of see that scripture is not always literal, um, that we you know, I've come to an understanding that it's super important. And you can even, yeah, do a study and just look at all the powerful ways, um, that, that women have an important, an important role, like a Mm -hmm. outspoken role throughout scripture, um, just proves that that's why you need to have, um, that perspective, that voice, um, in your organization. So, um, you know, I, I think there's definitely a turning tide now. Um, yeah, I, I will judge a place on if they have women in leadership, to be honest. (laughs) Um, but, uh, yeah, that's that's how I kind of grew up. So I think a lot of it might still kind of be that, especially as the um, average age of a lead pastor goes up um, year after year. It, it just might still be kind of steeped in tradition. But at the same time, like you said, there might be some uh, confusion. So I just echoing a little bit. Um, that, that's how I grew up as well. I mean, I grew up in the idea that or of the idea that, you know, what is the scripture? Uh, women. Uh, sir, is it serve is, I can't remember the exact terms now, but it's, it's this idea that almost women are kind of a second rate 
uh, personality in the church that your men are supposed to be your leaders and then your women are just, you know, supposed to be the helpers. And I think that ideology still kind of permeates the church to a degree where they don't see people as equals. They see, oh, here's the man he's supposed to be leading. Here's the woman she's supposed to be helping. And that's not the case, especially in our world now. I mean, that to me, that ideology, and I might be completely wrong, but to me, that ideology, it, it silences women. It silences another voice in the church. Whenever you say, oh, you're just the helper, you're not the leader. So for me, I, I, I feel like I've always been very respectful. You know, I grew up working with um, in children's ministry with my mom. So, you know, I've, I've always had a very good um, kind of camaraderie with women. I yeah. don't know. Uh, that that kind of sounded weird coming out. but uh, <laughs> <laughs> It makes but, sense. You know, I, I, you know, I've had that kind of, you know, I, I've seen the value in women's voices. You know, even with Launching Creative Church, you know, it's it's mainly been a me and my wife thing yeah. that we've done. It wasn't me and a, and a group of men who came together and, you know, we're going to do this thing because we're dudes. And, um, no, it was really me and my wife kind of leading it. And she really leads me more than <laughs> more than I can even express you know we have this very give and take relationship where you know i'll help her out she helps me out and it's it's this combination then that that to me is really the helper spirit that christ is trying to get across but we take that as a helper spirit as you know it's second and it's less than right but uh yeah so those are those are my thoughts um i mean i kind of see i can see where we're intersecting there um and i I really think that there there's a lot of healing that needs to happen Mm -hmm. in that in that relationship with the church and uh, women because for so long they have been treated almost as a second you know you know go have your little women's group right uh, the men have have important decisions to make and right. that's very very wrong uh ross what are some of the challenges that you see facing culture that the church might be better at addressing uh i think there's an issue very close to my heart and and that truly is racial racial reconciliation mm-hmm. um and one of the most frustrating things i have as i bring up this topic is people think instantly it's political, and it is not. It is about human dignity. Um, we'll, we'll have an interview coming up on our podcast that I would love for everybody to tune into with author Austin Channing Brown. Is she, ser- she shares her experience um, of her blackness and being in a predominantly white environment, hmm. even growing up. And it's just an incredible perspective that we need to listen to just like we need to to have women speaking into our lives we need to have people of color Mm. um speaking into our lives i married into a black family and so i've very much dived into this topic and it's very important to me because it literally affects my family now Mm -hmm. and my wife is very aware if she's the only black person around um she's very aware of her tone um to not come across like the angry black woman um because she's and that's one of the things I love about her is, is just how bold and, and forthright she is as a woman and um, and my wife and partnering in this life with. But, you know, it can come across the wrong way to certain people and she can be stereotyped. Um, and it's an interesting perspective that I've had to listen to. And, um, you know, some friends and, and family as well, um, my black friends and family, you know, um, I've just had a lot of conversations with them. I've read a lot of books. I've read a lot of articles um, about the experiences going on. And I mean, it truly goes to Micah six, eight. Um, you know, uh, I can't even remember the order it it all is, but like love, mercy, act justly, walk Mm -hmm. humbly, you know? And uh, like when we see injustices, we need to speak out and there are injustices and oppression toward people of color. And I think 
I think the church doesn't speak up out of fear. Mm. I don't think it's ignorance necessarily. I mean, sometimes it might be, especially in a predominantly white um, thing. But, you know, the most segregated hour is Sunday morning mm -hmm. uh, in America, and that shouldn't be. And so I think, again, if we get voices of people of color, of women, like, are, are people of color really going to come to a church where the whole leadership is white? They're mm -hmm. not hearing from anybody that looks like them. Um, I mean, Emily, probably as a woman, if you were going mm -hmm. to a place where the leadership was, um, you know, just right. all men, would you feel like you're getting what you need out of right. it? You know, it's you got to look at that kind of thing. And, and so it's hard to deconstruct a lot of things when you're a default. But I think um, those are important important things we need to talk about um, because I believe Jesus direct, directly approached it. Um, and it needs to be something that we directly approach instead of trying to um, be delicate about and feel fear at. Um, there should definitely be spaces uh, where people, you know, white people can ask the dumb questions. I was there, <laughs> you know, I'm like, is this racist? You know, like I was there asking those questions. And I think those questions are totally valid, especially as you're beginning to explore those um, issues. Um, you know, so I think, I think there's just a stigma of fear and, um, you know, people want to get defensive when they hear white uh, privilege and white fragility and, and then realizing those are not directed at them, but they need to understand what that means and then how to navigate within that because um, there's been a long, long oppression um, and there still is today that needs to be looked at with people of color. It is. And then both of those issues are truly, truly something that we really need to be focusing on and focusing in on addressing in our churches and, you know, figuring out a way to navigate these conversations. And one of the things I heard this past weekend was just conversate about it hmm. is yeah. probably some of the if most. anybody wants to hit me up, hit right. me up, yeah. please, please do. I'm more than willing to take the time. I actually did recently with some, some stuff I was, I was uh, posting online and someone reached out and, and we, we had a wonderful conversation and they're just beginning to dive into this stuff. Um, but you know, they, they approach it, they approached it in such a wonderful way that, that I'm like, you know, that's, that's kind of where you have to start. You have to, and <laughs> it's hard to say, you have to humble yourself as a white person a little bit. Mm -hmm. I have to continually do that. Um, you know, I submit a lot of that stuff to my wife and I'll even ask her, I'm like, call me out on my junk, please, mm -hmm. you know? So, um, but if anybody, you know, white person to white person wants to hit me up, <laughs> let me know. And I'll leave you all with this scripture. I was looking for it as we were talking. Um, so don't think I had this off the top of the dome. Um, with it, no matter what we do, remember love must be sincere and mm -hmm. therefore we mm -hmm. must hate what is evil yep. and always cling to mm. what is good. good. Romans 12, nine. Yep. And uh, anytime we see anything, any oppression in the church, anytime we see any type of uh, silencing in the church, anytime we see anything that's going wrong in our church, mm -hmm. we need to be asking ourselves, especially as creatives and creators, how can we fix this problem? So Absolutely. Yep, I'll leave you with that. If you guys want to join in on the conversation, you can do so by heading over to our Facebook group and joining Creative Talks. Um, we'll be hosting it. It'll probably be Monday morning is when we'll be posting this. So uh, be on the lookout for that. Um on that note, we'll go ahead and we'll wrap things up. 
Uh, there are a few great ways you can share your appreciation for the Creative Church Podcast. First, subscribe and add us to your favorite podcatcher. We also release all of our episodes on our website at creativechurch.com. You can also review this podcast and show us some rating star love on iTunes so we can get more exposure. And the more people that find us, we'll learn exactly what Slices of Sauce is. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, they will learn what Slices and what of will, Sauce And is. what uh, will be sliced next. What no, will be sliced no. next. Ugh. That, no. <laughs> <laughs> what will be sliced into your Oreos? Um, oh, this <laughs> so is gross. no. I can't uh, even. <laughs> <laughs> lastly, consider sharing this episode on social media. You can find us on social media by searching our handle Creative Church. That's one word, all caps CRTV Church. Special thanks to Adam for joining us today. Uh, you can check out all that he's doing by heading over to our podcast episode page on our website at creativechurch.com. Also, special thanks to Visual Media Church for sponsoring today's show. Do us a big favor and go check them out and snag that 20% discount when you use offer code Creative Church. That's one word, all caps, CRTV Church. That's a trademark now. Yeah. That's, a, that's an actual trademark. I don't know if, you know, people were excited. I was surprised. It got almost 100 likes on my personal fa- page. And I thought to myself, this is what people were waiting for. You know, I made all these great <laughs> jokes in the past. I've, I've done all Just these. Trademark law you know, gets everybody going. Everybody goes with the trademark law. Uh, uh, in the meantime, I'm Nick Gunner. I'm Emily Cummins. And I'm Ross Slice of Montgomery. <laughs> uh, and we will see you next episode. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Creative Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at creativechurch.com. That's crtvchurch.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Creative Church. Also, don't forget to check out all the other podcasts we have to offer on the Creative Church Podcast Network. 